it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Welcome to the episode NASCAR 7. icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Podcast. It is Here. Tuesday, we September 5th, 2023. I hope everybody's day. doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. We got ourselves. A jam-packed, a jam, jam, jam-packed Tuesday episode of the Aaron Torres pod. I apologize that I could not get you a Labor Day special. Instead, first episode Tuesday, we'll do another episode tomorrow. But here's what you need to know about today's show. As you can guess, a lot of reaction to week one. Colorado, the stunner against TCU. I told you they could keep it close, but even I didn't see it coming the way that it happened on Saturday in Fort Worth. From there... Quick break, we'll talk about LSU Florida State. Has Florida State arrived? How bad is LSU? What does it mean? And then from there, we will rip through the rest of the busy, busy, busy college football slate. Uh, Talking North Carolina, Penn State. I thought Texas A&M, we learned something very interesting about. So a busy show, a fun show, quick scheduling note, as I just said. We will have another episode on Wednesday. We traditionally go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But this week, because of the holiday, we pushed today's show till Tuesday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, a lot of college football, a lot to get into. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, I don't think you guys and girls need me to tell you where we are going to start today's Aerator Sports Podcast. We're going to start with what was one of the most hyped games of week one of the college football season. We are going to start with what was certainly one of the most entertaining games of week one of the college football season. And we're going to start with what I think many deem to be one of the biggest upsets of week one of the college football season. Although if you listen to this show, you know that I did not believe that this was an upset at all. I am, of course, talking about Fort Worth, Texas, Saturday, big noon kickoff. Fox, Gus, Joel, Jenny Klatt are in town to see the reigning national runners up, the TCU Horned Frogs, take on Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and Colorado in Coach Prime's debut as a Power 5 head coach. Well, after months of debate and argument and how Coach Prime does it, and he's too honest, he's too blunt, he's too this, he's too that, how is it actually going to look when it takes the field? Well, to be honest, it looked a lot like Jackson State. Coach Prime's team was the better prepared team. Shador Sanders was the best quarterback on the field. Travis Hunter was the best player on the field. And in Coach Prime's, 
Colorado debut, the Colorado Buffaloes pulled off the 45 to 42 upset. You know what time it is, baby. It is prime time. That is right. By the way, we're selling these t-shirts, airtoresonline.com. Link in the show description. If you're watching on YouTube, you saw the shirt. If not, they are fire. Prime time is here, baby, and it is great. But listen, let me let me even start by saying this. I, I Before we get into all the who, what, when, where, why, I can't take that much credit. I did think Colorado was underrated. I didn't understand why people didn't think it was going to be competitive, but I did not see an outright win coming for Colorado. I think the final score I said was 42 to 34. TCU would win. Colorado would cover. Colorado was so, so, so much more than what even I think even the, 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 the biggest believers like myself could have expected. Let's start with the positives. <laughs> and I, there, there are so many. Um, and, and let's start with them. Okay. So, so first off, Travis Hunter on Saturday just put together what I would deem to be one of the single greatest college football individual performances that I've ever seen, especially for a non-quarterback. As I'm recording, I don't have the exact number of plays that he was on the field, but in 100-plus degrees in Texas, he was essentially the single best player on the field every single snap of the game. Played both sides of the football and was dynamic playing both sides of the football, finishing the game, uh, as a wide receiver, 11 catches for 119 yards. He also, by the way, had one of the best interceptions I maybe have ever seen where it looked like the I think it was a running back wide open in the flats. He comes out of nowhere, picks it off, reads the quarterback's eyes. So an interception, uh, uh, you know, 119 yards receiving, 11 catches. And here's the crazy part. couple plays went against him. He had an incredible touchdown catch that was eventually overturned because he was kind of didn't have complete control when he came to the ground. And then there were another one or two big plays where the ball just kind of slipped through his hands. Coach Prime said it at halftime. He said if he makes those two plays, he, it, the Heisman is chilling at his house. By the way, late in the game, there was another interception where he jumped the route, had the ball in his hands, and he dropped it. So I bring it up to say one of the most incredible performances, 100 plus 10 degree heat on the field in Texas. And after the game, what did he say? He said, I feel fine. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to play a couple more snaps. So unbelievable performance from him. And it's funny because Coach Prime, like I said, did say at halftime, he said uh, something to the effect of uh, he's chilling at home with the Heisman if he makes those two plays. Well, guess what, Coach Prime? Uh, Travis Hunter is very much the Heisman favorite coming out of week one. Uh, the one thing I would say, though, if Travis Hunter isn't the favorite coming out of week one, it is because Shador Sanders at quarterback just had one of the most incredible week one performances that we have seen in quite some time. And what I will say about Shador, I think a couple things about him can be true. I was higher on him than just about anybody. I think for people who didn't do their homework, and we're going to talk about you guys and girls later, for the people who didn't do their homework, they sat there and said, oh, he's the coach's son. He played at the FCS level. He played at Jackson State. He played at an HBCU. You know what I said? I said HBCU, high school, middle school, Pop Warner, whatever. One, he was offered by Alabama coming out of high school, so you know he's pretty good. But to the point that I was about to make, and I tripped over my own words, I don't care if it's high school, junior college, Pop Warner, whatever. Last year, he completed 70% of his passes, 40 touchdowns. I think it was six interceptions. You do that at any level of college football, that's going to translate because it means you are accurate, you are poised, you are smart with the football, you take care of it. And that was exactly what we saw on the field on Saturday. I don't, I, I mean, I remember an overthrow or two, 
But I don't really remember a moment where the moment looked too big for Shador Sanders. He looked confused. He looked lost. He looked whatever. He was in complete control of the game where I give him credit. I think he kind of knows the offensive line is a work in progress. And as Gus and Joel mentioned on the broadcast, like he gets the ball out quick. Tom Brady is is a, is a mentor, if you will, of his. What was Tom Brady great at? Getting rid of the football. Quick, 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 quick passes. That's exactly what he did. Uh, and he just finished with an unbelievable game. Over 500 yards passing. I saw this stat. It was kind of mind-blowing. Um, last year, and they mentioned this on the broadcast, last year, as over the course of the season, over the course of 12 games, Colorado had two receivers have over 100 yards in a single game. Two separate instances where a receiver went over 100 yards. They had four guys do it on Saturday. Travis Hunter had 119 yards, as I said. Xavier Weaver had 118 yards. Jimmy Horn had 117 yards. Dylan Edwards, six catches, 135 yards, which brings us to Dylan Edwards. And I got to say, listen, I'm far from a recruiting expert, but if you listen to this show, we discussed him back in December and January. He was the first big player to really flip and commit to Coach Prime that didn't come from Jackson State, right? So so Shador came with him right away, was at that opening press conference. We knew Travis Hunter was coming. We knew eventually Shiloh Sanders, Coach Prime's other son, the defensive back, was going to come as well. But Dylan Edwards was the first big-time recruit who flipped to play for Coach Prime. Now, he's actually, ironically, originally from the Dallas area, played for Coach Prime as a kid, ended up moving out of the area, But once Coach Prime got that FBS Power 5 head coaching job, he said, I'm coming, and he delivered in a big way. Five catches, as I said, 135 yards and three touchdowns. And so, listen, it's early, but when we do these preseason or or, or these these early season in Heisman polls, those three might be number one, two, and three right now. Respect to Sam Hartman, respect to Caleb Williams, but nobody's had a better game than Travis Hunter. If anybody did, it's Shador Sanders, and Dylan Edwards is right behind Colorado gets the win. Those three stand out. Um, And before we get to the big picture stuff, here's the kind of crazy part. I don't think they were perfect. And I think that they have very much flaws that they overcame in this game. It was interesting to me because over the course of this offseason, a lot of the talk was about the offensive line and was about the defense. And so I'm not going to sit here and say they were perfect. They're unbeatable. They're winning a national championship. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying, though, is that I feel like they have figured out ways around some of their issues. One, on the offensive side. As I said, the O-line isn't great, but Shador gets it out quick. They have dudes that can make plays with the ball. Defensively, listen, they don't have a lot of bodies, but I'll say this first of all. They're not going to be playing in 110-degree heat in Texas very often. It's going to get pretty cold by uh, you know by mid October, November, December uh, in in Colorado, and so I bring it up because. I don't think the depth is going to be maybe as much of an issue down the road, even as it was today on Saturday against TCU in that oppressive heat. So those are my thoughts. And let me just add two more before we get out of here. One couple big picture thoughts. The first one, if you're a fan of college football, if you follow coach prime, whatever, be careful the media you listen to, because the one thing I'll say is this, listen, did I, did I predict that Colorado was beating TCU on, on Saturday? I did not. But did I think it, they could keep it close? I did, and it was for a pretty simple reason. I said, look at the roster that's here. I said, Shador Sanders, as I said, was offered by Alabama coming out of high school. He is not the Colorado quarterback because he's the coach's son. 
He's the Colorado quarterback because he's really good, and he happens to be the coach's son as I smack my mic there. Um, Dylan Edwards was basically a fringe five-star kid that could have gone to Notre Dame, flipped and went to Colorado. Travis Hunter was the number one player in America, could have gone anywhere, chose to go play for Coach Prime, first at Jackson State, then at Colorado. Some of the, the, the other players, the skill position players, Jimmy Horn had, as I said, over 100 yards catching on 11 grabs on Saturday afternoon. He was coveted by Texas A&M, Penn State, you name it, in the portal. Uh, some of the other players, some of the guys didn't even play. You know, Cormani McLean, five-star, barely even played. And so I never understood this notion of like, oh, Colorado's going to be terrible this year. Why? USC had a first-year head coach last year. Granted, they had Caleb Williams. They went 11-1 and in the regular season. I'm not saying that Shador is quite Caleb Williams. I don't think he's that far behind. But outside of Caleb Williams, what is all that different about what was inherited at USC? The situation wasn't that much better. Oh, by the way, LSU, Brian Kelly. Everybody knows I'm a huge Brian Kelly guy. Brian Kelly inherited a roster with 39 scholarship players at LSU. Don't tell me what LSU can me. Don't tell me what they were in 2019. The situation that Brian Kelly inherited at LSU, I'm not saying it was as bad as Coach Prime. But what I am saying is it was a lot worse than people give it credit for. They won 10 games last year, including a bowl game and beat Alabama. Oh, by the way, you know who's the best example of what you can do in one offseason if you know what you're doing? TCU, which fired Gary Patterson and then played for a national championship last year in year one under Sonny Dykes. So I'm I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I picked Colorado to win this game or I think they're going 12-0. But the idea that they couldn't be respectable this year, give me a freaking break. Finally, let me say this. When it comes to Coach Prime, I have been telling you for months, put aside the bluster, put aside the quotes, put aside the videos that you see. This dude can coach ball. He's had success everywhere, but most importantly, the last couple of years at Jackson State, 23-3 and as a head coach. I'll go back to what I said about Shador Sanders. I said with Shador. I said, if you can complete 70% of your passes, 40 touchdowns, five interceptions, I don't care what level you're at, you're a baller. Well, it's the same with a coach. You go 23-3, and three, I don't care what level you're at. It means that you're well-prepared, you're, 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 you have good staff, you have good players, you can recruit well, you can do the things needed to win at any level of football. And that's exactly what Coach Prime proved on Saturday. I don't care if you don't like how he went about doing things. I don't care if you like that he sent a bunch of guys to the portal, whether they wanted to or not. This is big boy college football. Things have changed. And as I said, what Coach Prime did, it's the same thing that Lincoln Riley did when he got to USC. It's the same thing that, uh, frankly, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart do at the end of every season. Tell a couple players, hey, you're probably not good enough. The difference is Colorado had a lot more players that simply weren't good enough. Had a lot of guys that felt like they were entitled. And unlike Nick Saban, unlike Kirby Smart, unlike any coach in college football, Coach Prime always has a camera in front of his face and, and advertises it. What The difference between what Coach Prime does and what everybody else does, it's just that he has a camera in front of his face. And so I never bought this narrative that they couldn't be good. And I never bought this narrative that Coach Prime isn't really good. Now, to be blunt, to be fair, is this? There, there's still a lot of steps, right? We know, and even the, the, the biggest Coach Prime believer and I think I'm one of them, they'll tell you there's still work to be done. This isn't a national championship caliber roster, and that's okay. It's year one. This isn't even probably a Pac-12 caliber championship caliber roster in year one, and that's okay. But all of a sudden, you look at that schedule. I don't think they're beating Oregon at Oregon in week four. 
They play USC the following week at home, and they end the season at Utah. But other than that, show me the games that they can't win, okay? I'm not saying they will win all of them, but Nebraska next week at home? Did you watch Nebraska on, on, on Thursday night? They can't move the football. Jeff Sims, Jeff Sims, I don't want to disrespect the kid. I think Colorado, Colorado, by the way, was an underdog. I expect them to be the favorite by the time the game kicks off. Colorado State, even somebody like USC, I don't necessarily think they'll beat USC, but they can't go score for score with USC the way their defense looked last week in week one against San Jose State. Stanford should be a win. Arizona is going to be interesting. Washington State can be a win. Oregon State. I just go on to say, you look at every game on their schedule. I think Utah and Oregon are probably a little too physical for them. And I think Caleb Williams is the only quarterback that's definitively better than Shador Sanders. So I bring it up to say, Coach Prime told you. He said, we're coming. Well, they're here. uh, And I am so excited to continue to watch this team. As I said, you know what time it is? It is prime time, baby. Grab your gear. Shout out to Coach Prime. I am so impressed with this group. Cannot believe how good they looked. And I'm so fired up because we knew this could potentially happen. And it's exactly what happened on Saturday. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I want to talk about the game that I think we thought we were going to lead today's show with because on paper, it was the most marquee matchup of the weekend. And that is, of course, the number eight Florida State Seminoles against the number five LSU Tigers Sunday night in Orlando. If you listen to Friday's show or if you listen to the college football betting show, encourage you to do that as well. You know that I actually did have kind of a bold take for this game. I said that I believed that I actually thought that not only was Florida State going to win this game, but I thought they were going to win pretty convincingly. The, the, the score that I predicted was a 35 to 21 final score, Florida State pulling away late. 
So I'm the guy, I'm the only person I know that picked Florida State to win by double figures. Maybe there were others. I'm not trying to discredit other people. I'm just saying I felt like I had a pretty good feel on this game. I bring it up to say, even as much as I thought Florida State was going to win that game, I did not think we were going to see what we saw and the demolition that we saw on Sunday night in Orlando as Florida State in complete control for the final 30 minutes of that game. How about this? A 31 to nothing run in the second half as they beat LSU 45 to 24 in what was a statement game for this team and this program. And I got to say this, man, listen, you don't want to overreact. You don't want to get too much, but this is the game that in my opinion, it is unquestioned after an off season of how good are they? Do they deserve the hype? Florida state reestablished itself as not only an ACC contender, but I think a national championship contender. And I think they have re etched themselves as a current college football power. And they will be going forward. Now, in terms of the game, what I will say is a couple things stood out. Really, the reason that I like Florida State to win is because I thought there were two big matchups in their favor. I'm not even an anti-LSU guy, although we'll talk about LSU in a minute. But I said, I think with the Florida State offensive line, I think that Florida State maybe has the best offensive line that LSU will see until they play Alabama in November. Number one rush attack last, uh, last season in the ACC, and I think it's going to wear down LSU late. I also thought Florida State has maybe the most physical, big, wide receiver room, maybe in all of college football, even not just on LSU's schedule. And I said a rebuilding LSU secondary, a lot of new names, a lot of new faces. I didn't know how they would handle that either. So if I'm not, if I'm worried that you can't stop the run and I'm worried you can't stop the pass, it could get ugly. Uh, But again, I I don't know that I necessarily saw it going down quite like this, but it was essentially exactly what happened from the Florida State perspective in the run game. Um, Listen, I don't think it was overwhelming the entire game, but I do think it was pretty overwhelming late, right? Overall, Florida State rushes for like 147 yards, or uh, I think it was somewhere in the 150, 155 yard range, whatever. But I bring it up because Florida State was able, especially late, to control the trenches, to control the line of scrimmage. And they were able to really, once the game got in their favor, really wear down LSU up front. Again, I don't think that's necessarily a surprise because Florida State has a really good uh, offensive line. LSU was missing Mason Smith. Harold Perkins, obviously, many believe was playing out of position. But overall, as I said, Florida State finishes with 135 yards rushing, two touchdowns. And really, I thought that last touchdown was the statement of all statements. Florida State gets the ball back, uh, six plays, all rushes, run right at LSU, and they put up that last touchdown at the time. It made it 45-17 to before LSU scored a garbage time touchdown. And so I bring it up because Florida State did exactly what we said. Beat you up, control the line of scrimmage, control the line of scrimmage late, and they did what we told you they were going to do on Friday. It was much the same for the wide receiver room. Listen, uh, again, I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm not X's and O's scheme expert guy. But that Florida State wide receiver room is as big and physical and mean as anybody in college football. Keon Coleman, the 6'4 transfer from Michigan State. If you didn't know his name before this game, you do now. Nine catches, 122 yards, three touchdowns. Johnny Wilson, 6'7". We talked about him on Friday's show. Seven catches, 104 yards. 
Jaheim Bell, physical tight end that transferred from South Carolina. Two catches, 49 yards, plus he had a rushing touchdown, the bulldozer touchdown late. By the way, we didn't even see uh, the five-star Hakeem Williams. So I just go on to say that this was how it always could go. And as I said on Saturday, styles make fights. And I felt like the style was a total advantage for Florida State coming into this game. Now, in terms of the bigger picture, I think this is where it gets interesting. Because Florida State, as I said to lead the segment, they were a team that all offseason, it felt like everybody was hyping them. And sometimes this happens. I think this happened with Washington. We'll see if I'm right or wrong. But sometimes Florida State or or, or any team, they have a good end to the season. You kind of know the names coming back and they get a ton of hype, right? If you know the quarterback, if you know the school, if they have a good end to the season, you're probably going to get hype. That's frankly pretty much what happened with LSU. Um, But from Florida State's perspective, I, I, I thought to myself, I said, this team has a chance to actually be special. To be clear, I did pick them to not only win this game, but to win the ACC and make the college football playoff. And it's because of exactly what we saw on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me. The bigger picture conversation on Florida State is I don't think this is a one off game and I don't think they're even close to reaching their ceiling. What I love about this team, this is a veteran team that is kind of that old school kind of rebuild. Mike Norvell takes over in the 2020 COVID season, does not go well. Year two, they finished five and seven. But even in that year two, they started 0 and Five, I believe 0 and 4, 0 and 5, and we're much better the second half of the year. Miss a bowl game, but then last year, start with the LSU win, win 10 games, including a bowl game against Oklahoma. So this isn't a one-year flip. It isn't a one-year rebuild. It isn't a million portal kids. By the way, there's nothing wrong with it. I just talked about Coach Prime a minute ago. This is a natural rebuild, and I think they've done as good as anybody in college football with blending veteran experienced guys developed in the program like their quarterback, Jordan Travis, third-year guy, with transfers. Some of them are in their second or third year. Jared Verse, the defensive end, who would have been a top-ten pick had he decided to go pro last year. Uh, Keon Coleman's in his first year. Jaheim Bell's in his first year. Johnny Wilson came from another stop. So I think they've done as good of a job. The portal is really important, but they're also developing guys within this program. I could not be more impressed with this team. And when you talk about their ceiling for not only this season, but beyond in this season, I think they're going to be favored in every game going forward, except for the one a couple weeks from now at Clemson, September 23rd, they do play at Clemson, but you look at the rest of the schedule. It is very manageable. First of all, of their 12 games, they had the one neutral site game. Then they have seven at home, only four on the road. Their true road games. This is who they have to play on the road this season. They play at Boston College. Well, they just lost to Northern Illinois. They play uh, at Pitt. They play at Wake Forest. They play at a really bad Florida team. So you look at the schedule. It breaks very nicely. By the way, no North Carolina. Miami at home. So you do have to go to Clemson. But I look at this team and I say, even if they don't beat Clemson, they'll be back in the ACC championship game. They would have to potentially play Clemson again. But man, oh man, do things break nicely for this team. I like them a lot this year. But in the bigger picture, I think I like them even more. As I said, I think they are back as a college football power. They have the right coach. And I think, like I said, they have the right foundation. This isn't taking 25 portal guys a year. And again, to be clear, I'm not anti-portal. Love what Deion Sanders did. But at the same time, the foundation, elite high school recruiting, elite development, 
plugging holes with portal guys. I love everything that this program is about. Could not be more excited to watch Florida State going forward. As I said, I have them in my college football playoff, and I could not be more impressed. From the LSU perspective, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Now, I will say, I was somebody that didn't really buy into LSU. If you follow me, if you listen to this show, I picked Alabama to win the West. I picked Alabama to win the SEC. I I picked Alabama to make the playoff. But at the same time, I'm not sure that I expected what we saw on Sunday night in Orlando where it just got so out of hand that, again, like like Florida State basically punked them, basically rubbed their dirt in the – rubbed their their nose in the dirt just to kind of prove it late in the game. And so when I look at this game, what I would say is it, it was definitely a disappointment. I mean, Brian Kelly said after the game, and I think people get mad at Brian Kelly because he tells you exactly what he feels all the time. But he basically said, I guess we're not the football team that I thought we were. But guess what? They lost week one last year and it was okay. But from the LSU perspective, I think the bigger thing to me is this, is that I do think there is an explanation as to why what happened last night happened. And part of it is, again, I think they were just flat out overrated coming into the season. I think they were probably a fringe top 10 team. But I think they're at best the third best team in the SEC. I don't think if it clicks with Texas A&M and Bobby Petrino, we're going to talk about them in a second. Texas A&M has the chance to be really good. If it clicks with Joe Milton, they have a chance to be really good. So the gap between LSU is the third, fourth, best. like, like, I don't think there's a big gap. Their, their schedule is tough. But here is why I believe what we saw on Saturday, Sunday night happened the way that it did. I believe what we're seeing is an LSU team that not only isn't as good as we thought, They're not as far into their rebuild as a lot of people want them to be. What do I mean by that? I tweeted this out on Saturday, Sunday night. I said, Mike Norvell's in year four. He's got a culture. He's got a foundation. He knows the portal. He knows NIL. He knows he's got it all figured out. Brian Kelly, remember, he took this job in December of 2021. So that's 18 or so months ago, 19, whatever it is. He inherited a program. Remember, the last time LSU played before Brian Kelly took over as the head coach, they played a bowl game with 39 scholarship players, okay? And so in my opinion, I say this all the time, there are there is a difference between reasons and excuses, okay? Reasons and excuses. An excuse is my dog ate my homework. Couldn't do my homework, my dog ate it. A reason is I didn't do the home, my homework because we had a power outage uh, you know, my mom's car broke down. Like, like there are legitimate reasons why you don't show up with your homework done on a Monday morning or on a Tuesday morning or whatever. There's also excuses like my dog ate the homework, whatever. And so from LSU's perspective, I don't think it's an excuse to say that they only had 39 scholarship players as of 18 months ago. And I don't care how good you are on the portal. I don't care how good you are in high school recruiting. Remember, Brian Kelly was way behind on that 2022 high school class. Um, and I don't care how good you are. You're not going to do it in one high school recruiting class and two portal cycles. There's just not enough bodies. You can't build the depth that you need to compete at the highest level. And so why I was down on LSU this year was a few reasons. One, I thought their frontline talent, their top 22 was as good as anybody in college football this year. Jaden Daniels, a quarterback, the two offensive tackles that were true freshmen last year. All those wide receivers that balled out last night, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas and whomever. 
Harold Perkins on defense, who, who obviously LSU fans are not happy with how he was used. But I bring it up because the front line was always good enough, but it was the depth behind them. Alabama has five straight top five recruiting classes in that in that system. It's why they only need to add two, three, four players from the portal every year. Georgia has added two players from the portal in the last two years because their high school recruiting and development is so good. Clemson's further along. Florida State is further along. Ohio State, Michigan is further along than LSU is. And so I never bought them as a playoff contender. I never bought them as a national championship contender. And you know who else I don't think bought them either? Brian Kelly. Remember what Brian Kelly said at SEC Media Days. Brian Kelly said at SEC Media Days, they asked him about how close he was to Georgia or if they're they're ready to compete with Georgia. And he said, we'll get there, but we need a few more recruiting classes. And it doesn't matter how good you are in the portal. doesn't matter. You have to do it in recruiting year after year after year after year after year. The rosters that have been built at Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, the places that I mentioned, it's great recruiting every single year. Then you get them to campus and you develop the crap out of them. It's why I'm not as high on LSU this year. It's why I'm not as high on tech. Like you go on and on down the list. I just don't think it's enough time. So I'm excited for LSU. I believe in Brian Kelly, but this always felt like a nine and three ish type team to me. Good news is they got an elite high school class coming in next year. Good news is they signed an elite high school class last year and they're always going to do very well on the portal, but this is a process. And just right now, I don't think they're far enough along in the process. Not an excuse for LSU's uh, performance on Sunday night, but I do think it's a reason. Still like LSU. But listen, if you listen to this show, you know I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that things went down the way they did. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to react to the rest of college football. We're going to talk a little bit about Texas A&M. We're going to talk a little bit about North Carolina. Talk a little bit about Penn State. Quick break. Be right back. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with just some thoughts on the rest of week one. There weren't a ton of marquee games outside of the ones that we just discussed. And obviously on the next show, we'll pre we'll talk about the game that happened Monday night, uh, Clemson Duke. But I want to go ahead, rip through some of the other stuff that happened in college football and I do have kind of one more really big picture takeaway from the weekend that was in college football. 
And it comes from what I think a lot of people would deem to be an unlikely place. That place, beautiful College Station, Texas, where the Texas A&M Aggies hosted the New Mexico Lobos and Texas A&M won 52 to 10 as a final score. Now, normally, an SEC team beating a, a, a group of five team by a million points isn't something we would talk about. Georgia did it on Saturday. We're not going to talk much about them. We're not going to talk much about uh, Alabama either. But why we have to talk about this is because it's Texas freaking A&M, and we all watched that offense last year. And so I want to talk a little bit about the game, but one thing really kind of jumped out to me while I was watching that game, and it was this, is that we have spent all offseason talking about the Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino dynamic in one specific way. I think everybody knows uh, Jimbo Fisher was the play caller. The offense was terrible last year. He gave up those duties and hired Bobby Petrino as his offensive coordinator. I bring it up because all offseason, all anyone, including myself, I'm guilty as anybody, so I'm not trying to uh, you know place blame on others. But all offseason, all we talked about was the idea of what happens if it goes wrong. What if the egos get in the way? What if Petrino and Jimbo Fisher can't see eye to eye? So it's only one game. I don't want to overreact, and they will certainly have a much tougher competition coming up starting next week at Miami. But at the same time, I was thinking about this game, and I thought about it from this perspective. What if we have been thinking and talking about the Jimbo Fisher-Bobby Petrino conversation completely wrong for the last nine months? What if instead of talking about all the negative, what would happen if it goes bad? We never really took the time to consider what if it actually goes well and what it means for Texas A&M. And after Saturday night, I think we have to at least consider that conversation. So let's do it right now. First of all, in terms of the game, Texas A&M looked awesome. By the way, they should look awesome. This isn't like a, a, you know, hand them a national championship. That's not what this is about. But at the same time, they've had talent. Talent has never been the issue, but it just hasn't clicked for, you know, you could say for whatever reason, but I think most of us probably think it was Jimbo Fisher, complicated playbook, all that good stuff. Well, Saturday, they looked really, really, really good. Okay. So first of all, uh, just you look at the raw stats, a couple things stand out. One, this was a team that ranked 93rd in total offense last year. They only averaged 361 yards per game had 411 on Saturday night, and they basically pulled the starters about mid to late third quarter. Uh, Beyond that, they had the 84th ranked pass offense last year, averaged just 219 yards per game through the air. Connor Wegman, a very efficient 18 of 23 passing, 236 yards. But again, the goal wasn't for Connor Wegman to put up a bunch of stats and put up 400, 500 yards. He probably could have if they let him stay in the game and let him throw more. And then I think most importantly, or maybe of equal importance, Bobby Petrino has talked all offseason about his his whole offense. The offense is nothing special. It's get the ball to your best players and let them make plays. Well, Evan Stewart, the number one recruit in the uh, 2022 class at the wide receiver position, last year didn't put up the stats he wanted. There was a lot of talk. Is he frustrated? Could he possibly transfer? Whether that was actually true or not, I, I don't really believe it was, but... Eight catches, 115 yards, two touchdowns for Evan Stewart. Six catches for Noah Thomas, another high-profile wide receiver. And I think most importantly, the most important stat is this. Again, they put up 52 points in a win over, uh, they put up 52 points in a win over New Mexico. If this was Ole Miss, if this was Bama, if this was a lot of other teams, we wouldn't talk about it. 
But how about this first step? In 12 games last year, Texas A&M didn't put up more than 40 points in any game. So in game one, under Bobby Petrino, as the play call, to put up 52 points was a positive. Remember, this was a team last year. 31 against Sam Houston State. 14 against App State. 17 against Miami. I'm not going to go through the whole schedule. 20 against Bama. 24 against South Carolina. 10 against Auburn. So, by the way, 20 against UMass. So for them to put up 52 points, I think, was a totally positive sign going forward. Again, to be clear, don't want to overreact. Don't want to make this into something that it isn't. But you're looking for positives in week one, and this was it. Lastly, let me say this. I was thinking a lot about this, and it goes back to what I said at the beginning. I thought to myself... And I mentioned this, I, I, I go on TechSags Radio every Thursday uh, morning. TechSags Radio, popular radio show for Aggie fans, hosted by David Nuno, good friend of mine, great at what he does. And I mentioned this to him. I said, what if we're thinking about, again, what I said a minute ago, what if we're thinking about the Bobby Petrino, Jimbo Fisher relationship all wrong, right? And what if we're just having the wrong conversation? Because all offseason, all I heard was, what if it doesn't work? Think about everything that's at stake. And we only talked about it from Jimbo Fisher's perspective. If Jimbo Fisher doesn't give up play calling, if he doesn't give up the offense, if he doesn't uh, take, get more hands off, the offense is going to be a disaster. The team's going to be a disaster and he's going to get fired. And that's all still true. I'm not denying that. But what I think that a lot of people maybe probably haven't fully conceived or, or perceived, there's a lot at stake for Bobby Petrino to see this offense have success as well. Like, I, I think everyone's just like, well, if it doesn't work for Jimbo, he gets fired. And then Petrino goes somewhere else. Well, think about Bobby Petrino. This was a guy. He has coached in the NFL as a head coach. He has coached a Heisman Trophy winner in Lamar Jackson. He has coached a team that was in the top 10 at Arkansas, won big games, won, uh, you know, whatever. You get the point. This was a guy that last year had fallen so far down the totem pole was coaching at an FCS school. This is a guy that in the wintertime, remember, he just wanted to get back to the FBS level so bad, he took the offensive coordinator job at UNLV. UNLV, he was going to be the offensive coordinator. And so everybody's talked all offseason about what if it doesn't work for Jimbo Fisher? If this doesn't work for Bobby Petrino, this legitimately could be his last chance at big-time big-boy college football. And I think, you know, listen, I, I don't know Bobby Petrino at all. I'm not claiming that I do. I'm not claiming I have any sort of relationship with him. But I, but but again, you go back to kind of the psyche of it all. Bobby Petrino is 62 years old, okay? And I was thinking about this as well. Think about his entire career. And if Bobby Petrino retired tomorrow, what would our what would the conversation be about him? It'd be about all the disastrous things that went wrong the way he left the Atlanta Falcons. If you don't remember, he left in the middle of the night, in the middle of the season, left a note in the player's locker room and said, I'm out, I'm going to Arkansas. We know how it ended at Arkansas. Motorcycle crash, uh, neck brace, he becomes a meme. Louisville, it ended in disaster after, uh, after uh, you know, the last couple of years. And so I only bring it up to say, the three memories we have of Bobby Petrino are all negative. And for him, this is kind of it. This is his last chance to prove, you know what? I'm a great play caller. I'm a great offensive mind. I can make this work. If he can be the difference between Texas A&M going from 5-7 and seven to 10-2, and two, one, changes his legacy completely. Then he just becomes the great coach that we all knew was great that had stuff go on in his personal life. 
doesn't work, it's the opposite. Oh, there goes Petrino again. Didn't really work out. And then I think in the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, there's the possibility that I, I don't think it's certain, but if this goes really well, and if he's the reason why, you don't think somebody's going to call him and offer him a head coaching job again? Remember, he was at the FCS level a year ago. I don't think it's insane to think that if this goes well, we could be talking about a guy that is potentially an FBS, maybe a power five head coach next year. Now, is he going to get the you know, Texas job if it opens or whatever, the Florida job if Billy Napier falls apart? Of course not. But can he get a, a small, a smaller power five, a group of five? Absolutely. And so I want to go, I want to move on to some of the other games, but I do think it is worth noting. Again, we've spent so much time talking about what if it doesn't work for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M with Bobby Petrino. My thought is, what if it does? All right, quickly, some other thoughts on the big games in college football on Saturday. Just going to rip through some of these and so we can get out of here. Um, the first one. Uh, We talked about a solid offensive debut for kind of a new system and a new coach. I thought Alabama looked really good. And again, you don't want to overstate anything in week one. Alabama obviously will get their first big test in week in week two against Texas at home. But I will say, I thought the offense looked good. I thought Jalen Milrow looked really good. 13 of 18 passing, three touchdown passes, 194 yards. There was a deep bomb to Jermaine Burton. He hit him right in stride. I thought this offense looked better than I expected. I thought Jalen Milrow looked better than I expected. And uh, in a game where all three quarterbacks did play for Alabama, spent a lot of time talking about the quarterback position over the last couple months. Thought all three looked, uh, well, excuse me, I take that back. All three played. I thought Jalen Milrow looked a lot more polished than I remember him a year ago. Alabama may just have a quarterback. We'll discuss them plenty this week as they get set to host Texas. But Alabama gets the win 56 to 7 is the final score. Five touchdowns for Jalen Milrow, three passing, two rushing. Speaking of new quarterbacks, new debuts, whatever, Ohio State. Well, I'm very good. Ohio State beats Indiana 23 to 3, 380 yards of total offense for Ohio State. Uh, Kyle McCord, 20 of 33 passing, did throw for 239 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Um, Listen, I think a theme of this segment, you don't want to overreact. You don't want to look too much into week one performances. And Ohio State did play a Big Ten game on the road. At the same time, Indiana is not very good. And Ohio State didn't look very good. And so, again, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to overthink it. I don't want to think too much about it. But it did strike me. What if Ohio State just doesn't have an elite quarterback? And I think we all kind of assume that you go back to the beginning of the Ryan Day era with, unfortunately, the late Dwayne Haskins, who then handed the baton to Justin Fields, who then handed the baton to C.J. Stroud, and we just we just assume that whoever steps up next is going to be elite? What if it doesn't happen? Now, the good news with Ohio State, one, you go back to C.J. Stroud's debut a few years ago. It wasn't great at Minnesota Thursday night game, but he obviously grew into that position. And then I think for Ohio State, you have two games to grow whoever is going to be the quarterback, whether it is Kyle McCord, uh, Devin Brown. I, I, you know, I got the sense that I thought that they wanted to play him more, but he had just three pass attempts the entire game, came in in the middle of, I think, the second quarter or so. Ohio State does get the win, but it's far from impressive as Ohio State uh, 23 to three is the win there. And it is worth noting, by the way, again, two two kind of games that should be kind of cakewalks, Youngstown State and Western Kentucky, before they have to travel to Notre Dame in week four. 
Let's stay in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State taking care of business against West Virginia. First of all, shout out to James Franklin, okay? James Franklin, Penn State was a 20-point favorite. Penn State was up by 16 points with under 10 seconds to go. And Penn State and James Franklin push in the touchdown to score, to cover the spread. So shout out James Franklin. I was obviously on Penn State. Now I will say that score also pushed the game from an o- under to an over. So a lot of betters in a lot of different places either won a ton of money or lost a ton of money because of that. I had a buddy in Vegas who was literally like the sports book went bananas. Like people were screaming and yelling and not very happy with James Franklin. I was Penn State wins 38 to 15. Listen, the defense was as good as advertised. I actually thought West Virginia showed a little bit more than I was expecting. That quarterback, Garrett Green, I thought played very well. He was very kind of tough and gritty and all that kind of stuff. But I think the the story from Penn State, uh, Drew Aller, we've talked a lot about him. The quarterback, 21 of 29, 325 yards, three touchdowns. And they're kind of the opposite of Ohio State. We've always kind of been conditioned to think like, oh, Ohio State, they're going to have a great quarterback. And we just discussed the possibility, what if they don't? But then there's the opposite as well at Penn State. We're kind of conditioned that they have kind of this, you know, gritty coach's son, overachiever at quarterback, whether it's Trace McSorley, what was it, Matt McGloin back in the day, obviously Sean Clifford for the last five years. We've never really like had Penn State in the modern era with a dude that's a five-star that could play anywhere um, that's a potential first-round NFL draft pick. So Drew Aller, I thought, had a very good debut. People loved it. You know, Garrett Carr, who works for us at Aaron Torres Media, was at the game. He's a Penn State alum. And he was like gushing about the kid after the game. I can't say that I quite saw what he did, but Penn State gets a very nice win, excited to continue to watch them progress. And when I say I didn't see it, it was more that there was a bunch of games going on I couldn't watch closely, uh, but I'm not doubting that he did look very good. Speaking of games in that late window, um, I thought North Carolina looked really good. And maybe maybe South Carolina is just not good. But North Carolina, first of all, I thought Drake May lived up to expectations, 24 of 32. He did have two interceptions, but I watched the game kind of closely, and it just felt like one, both were easily, weren't really on him. The second one easily, easily, easily uh, was 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 a tipped pass and, and, and shouldn't have been intercepted. It hit the wide receiver right in the hands. But he looked like, to me, what a top 10 NFL draft quarterback should look like. Reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert, that big physical body, 6'4", 6'5", big arm, all that good stuff. North Carolina gets the win. I also thought, by the way, held South Carolina to negative two rushing yards. Now, South Carolina may just stink, and I definitely think that's a possibility. North Carolina may just have some dudes on defense. Couple, uh, They finished the game with nine sacks and 16 TFLs. So part of that's probably on South Carolina's uh, offensive line, but let's give a little credit to North Carolina. I thought North Carolina looked very good. And, and you talk about a league that is pretty wide open. Four of their next five, five of their next six, excuse me, are at home. This is a team that could get off to a very, very, very hot start. By the way, one last thing on North Carolina. They have a kid, Tez Walker, who's currently in the middle of a, a dispute with the NCAA. Listen, we can argue whether he should be eligible or not. He's one of these two-time transfer kids, and they're really kind of trying to make the case like, you know, that that he really deserves this waiver. The NCAA is trying to cut down on the players with a second transfer, basically saying you're not eligible to play. 
the broadcast went a little bit overboard on it. Listen, I, I get the kid has an argument. I also get that if we want to slow down this transfer portal stuff in some way, shape, or form, the NCAA has got to draw the line in the sand somewhere. You feel bad for the kid, but I think ultimately, uh, whether he plays or not, like we got to calm down on it. Like, get over it. I'm sorry. He is a two-time transfer. He didn't have to transfer the first time. He didn't have to transfer the second time. This one's a little bit different. There are some personal issues. His coach did leave, but I'm sorry. I'm kind of over that conversation. Lastly, you know, listen, I thought Tennessee, I'm just going to rip through some other games. I thought Tennessee looked looked pretty good in what I saw. Now, I am in the middle of this cable dispute with uh, Spectrum, as you heard on Saturday show or Friday show, excuse me. So I didn't get to watch this one closely. Um, but Tennessee, I thought the D-line actually looked really good. Joe Milton, I thought, looked pretty sharp. Uh, I did see one play where literally a ball hit his wide receiver in the hands for a touchdown that got dropped. So I thought Tennessee looked good. I think that's really it from takeaways. Texas State beats Baylor. Matt Aranda, uh, Dave Aranda, excuse me. I think it's becoming increasingly clear he won big with Matt Rule's players and Matt Rule's culture. Has not gone as well since. We'll see if they bounce back. Uh, but yeah, Texas won big, but it wasn't that great. I think that's really it. I think that's really it. Yeah, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Let's Enough small talk. Time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for listening. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. I do think it's time for me to get out of here. Did not mention, by the way, a week ago, we did the Bob Barker memorandum. Should mention the passing of an icon on Friday night, Jimmy Buffett. Listen, I think anybody who knows me, I'm not a huge music guy, but the one thing that struck me about Jimmy Buffett, really a few things, um, was this, is that whether he actually was the dude that hung out on the beach and flip-flops all day or not, he created a really cool brand around it. Um, I, I tweeted, you know, when, when you're when when you can make billions with a B off of the concept, I want to hang around the beach, uh, you know, get drunk and do you know what uh, hang in Margaritaville, brown. eye, like the guy is just an icon. And the thing I can say is like his music was and is just so happy and brought so many people together. And every I, I went to one of his concerts about 10, 12 years ago. It was so much fun. Everybody was so happy. You know, there's certain music that that makes people angry or makes people sad or makes people emotional. Jimmy Buffett's music just made everybody happy. And I think also, I think the brand that he created, I think he's one of the great brand builders that we've ever seen. Uh, I've told this story a few times on, on Fox Sports Radio, but about two or three years ago, uh, my wife and I were trying to get away long weekend, whatever. And I bring it up because we're looking at hotels and what about this one and what about that one? And we saw where we were going. They had a Margaritaville hotel. We're like, well, guess we're staying in Margaritaville. And we had a great time. It was a great hotel, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, Jimmy Buffett probably deserves a little bit more of a memorandum, but it's a long show. Uh, it's Monday. It's a holiday weekend. Don't want to take up too much more of your time, but RIP Jimmy Buffett. I'll be back on third on Wednesday. Excuse me. New episode. We'll talk Clemson Duke and a bunch of other stuff. Hope everybody has a great Labor Day weekend.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.